Hello, and welcome to the Letters from Our Fathers podcast, where we explore the actual history of America's founding fathers from their own written words and personal correspondence, but without modern partisan political ideologies. I am your host, Roman. Now let's learn some real history. All right, everybody, welcome back. This is the podcast where the study of history is a way of life and TLDR does not apply. I hope you enjoyed the previous episode, and I, I took that detour, a, la- a more lengthy detour into the 26th Amendment is kind of a break from the uh, the stuff that we've been talking about with Benjamin Franklin and, and before that, John Adams, 1774 to 75, and this kind of revealing of the true intentions behind King George III and how a government declares war upon its own people, because it's kind of a dark topic. Some people might like to take a break from it. I don't know. But uh, in anticipation of that possibility, I went ahead and took a detour into the 26th Amendment. You know, and we talked a little bit about the relationship between people and government, and I'm not going to talk about the 26th Amendment for a good while. It's going to be quite a long time probably before we talk about that again, unless somebody leaves a review on the podcast and you have a comment or a question about it, in which case I will bring it back up again. This relationship between people and government, you know, we're going to get in this. This episode is going to be a Benjamin Franklin letters from Benjamin Franklin episode, and it's going to talk a little bit about that. And I was thinking about this. People have a problem with relationships, every kind of relationship you can possibly imagine. You know, 10,000 years of civilization of people going through relationships, family dynamics and all the rest of it. And still to this day. We have books written about relationships, we have podcasts about relationships, we have TV shows about relationships, we have documentaries about relationships, and we we have this never-ending problem with relationships. The divorce rate, incredibly high, assuming people are getting married at all. Oftentimes, people aren't getting married anymore. Why? Relationship problems. People still have turmoil in their relationships. All these thousands of years that we've been doing this, and we still have these problems. We know what the right thing to do is, at least some of us do. We know what makes relationships work, and we know what makes relationships not work. So why can't we get it right? And why am I talking about this? Because the relationship between people and government has the same fundamental problem. Despite 10,000 years of evidence about what the true nature of that relationship really is, people live in denial, and they keep making the same mistakes over and over and over and over again. History repeats itself. Those who do not understand history are doomed to repeat it. That's why we have relationship problems in this country, in the world. That's why we have divorce problems in this country. That's why we have broken families in this country. And that is why we have a twisted, twisted view about the relationship between people and government. It's really the same kind of thing. The story of humanity at the end of the day, when the obituary is finally written about humanity and what we did here, it's going to be the story of people who made the same stupid mistakes year after year, century after century, millennia after millennia. And if we're going to get government right, if we're going to get that relationship between people and government right, we have to study the history behind it. If we don't understand that history, we are going to be the same dumb idiots that we were 10,000 years ago. And wouldn't that be a sad commentary on reality? Aren't you sick and tired of it? Aren't you sick and tired of reading article after article in the news about how broken this country is, about how broken the world is, about how broken Europe is, about how broken Asia is, about how broken Africa is? Are you sick and tired of it yet? Has 10,000 years of these stories been enough? Or do we need another 10,000 years? Or are we finally going to grow up as human beings, and learn the history that teaches us what to do right, what we did right, what we did wrong, and how to fix that. The Founding Fathers have a message for us, because they actually did study history. And if they hadn't studied history, the government that they built wouldn't have lasted 10 years. But it did. Now, they had to adjust it along the way. Articles of Confederation, we'll talk about that later, to Constitution, etc. But that Constitution is still there, 200 years later. We just have trouble following it. We get stuck in this game of my side versus your side, your side versus my side, and people still buy into these same stupid ideas. Well, my political party is better than your political party. My political party is pure as the driven snow. My political party does not cheat, steal, corrupt, rob, 
politic. They don't do any of that. They're pure as the driven snow. It's just your political party that does that. Your political party is the one that cheats, steals, lies, corrupts, and does all these terrible things. That's your party, not my party. That's your politician, not my politician. Newsflash, ladies and gentlemen. Almost every single frickin' one of them do it. 535 raving frickin' lunatics in Washington, D.C. Almost every single one of them corrupt to the core. Liars to the core. Betray the Constitution every single day of their life, and they don't care. And how did they get there? How did this happen? How does this bad relationship between people and government perpetuate on and on throughout the ages? Because we didn't learn the history. We don't understand that government always, 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 without fail, turns abusive and declares war on their own people every single time. And how many millions have died? How many hundreds of millions have died because of it? Murdered by their own government. And how many hundred millions more are going to have to die? I remember in the not-too-distant past, this country, the United States of America, freaking out because one million Americans died from something. I'm not even going to get into it. I'm not even going to talk about it. It was what? Within the last few years? Country freaking out over a million people dying. What about the hundreds of millions? Heck, it's probably in the billions have died at the hands of this god-awful relationship between people and government. How many? How many died in Germany? How many died in the Soviet Union? How many died in communist China? How many died in Cambodia? How many died in Vietnam at the hands of their own government? Millions, 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 tens of millions, hundreds of millions. And we still play this game. Your side versus my side. My side versus your side. My politician versus your politician. My politician wins an election. Well, hey, let's go down to the campaign rally and clap our hands. Woo! Hoot and holler. Way, yay, another corrupt politician makes it into office. That's going to save the day. That's going to rescue the United States of America. How's that corrupt politician doing? How many promises do they make that violate the Constitution of the United States of America? How many laws have they broken? How many people will they get killed? And is it just your politician? Is it just my politician? Or is it both? The Founding Fathers knew these factions, these divisions, they will be the death of us, just as they were the death of so many millions more that came before us. We are not the first to play this stupid game, and we won't be the last. Long after the United States is dead and gone, there will be another group of people making the same stupid mistake again and again and again, and hundreds of millions more will die. But it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way today, and it doesn't have to be that way tomorrow. We can fix it. We can stop it right now. We may not be able to stop it a hundred years from now because we'll be dead and gone, but we can stop it today. And we can return to the Constitution of the United States of America and just listen to it. And just listen to the Declaration of Independence. All men are created equal and endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights. We, the people of the United States of America, in order to form a more perfect union. The American people have had problems since the beginning. Even some of the Founding Fathers were guilty of some of this crap. The Founding Fathers, that their generation, were the ones who started these divisions. They started the factions. They started the parties. But there were some Founding Fathers who looked on and knew that this was going to be a huge problem. And they warned us. They wrote us letters. And we will be reading some of those letters warning us of the divisions, of the factions, and all the rest of it. All we have to do is listen to them. We don't talk about elections on this podcast, but there are elections coming up in the United States of America. And sooner or later, there's going to be elections coming up in Europe. There's going to be elections coming up in countries in Asia. There's going to be elections coming up in, in, in countries in Africa and South America, etc. And in every one of these elections, one lying, cheating, corrupt politician after the next is going to be voted into office. And some people somewhere are going to think that's going to save the day. My lying politician is going to save the day. My corrupt politician is going to be the one that saves this country. Are you serious? You think this hasn't been done before? You think your parents didn't do this same stupid crap? You think your grandparents didn't play this same stupid game? This was done 5,000 years ago. And mark my words, it'll be done 5,000 years from now, if we're still alive, if the world still survives. There's only one side that matters in the United States of America, and it isn't my politician or your politician or my party or your party. It's the Constitution of the United States of America. And of all the differences that we've had in the United States, we have different ideas, we have different backgrounds, we have different values, we have different religions at times. Now, this country used to be much more unified than it is today. I've talked about this before briefly. I remember the 1990s. I'll tell you what, that was a different time for the United States of America. It wasn't happy times for everybody. Heck, I was miserable for most of the 1990s. But I'll tell you what, my country was better off. The country seemed to be happier. I wasn't, but the country seemed to be. What the heck happened? Why are we going backwards? 
What's that all about? What's that story? Well, there's a story to be had in that. There's a story to be told, and it's been told before. It's been done before. Countries backslide all the time, and people don't stop it because they think, well, you know what? My political party, they're going to win the day, and that's going to save the world. My side is going to beat your side, and that's going to that's gonna save us all. Just you wait and see. My, my group of corrupt politicians are going to be better than your corrupt politicians. There's only one side that matters. And there used to be, despite our differences in religion, in background, in ideas, there used to be these fundamental ideals that we at least all agreed on at the end of the day. If nothing else we could agree on, there was something we agreed on. It was called the Bill of Rights in the Constitution of the United States of America. The First Amendment, the Second Amendment, the Third, the Fourth, the Fifth, Sixth, Seventh, Eighth. We could agree on that. The Ninth, the Tenth even. We could agree on that. As complicated as those amendments are, apparently, to understand, quite frankly, I find it quite simple to understand. We're going to talk about that later on in the podcast, many episodes from now. But we could at least agree on that. We can't even do that anymore. How do you hold a country together if you can't even agree on that? And why should we agree on that? Why did the Founding Fathers put it in there? Because it was them that put it in there. John Adams, that great man, was the President of the Senate, Vice President of the United States. He signed off on it. I have his signature on a document that hangs on my wall. Why did he support that? Why did he sign off on it? Why did he think that was a good idea? Why did so many of them think it was a good idea? They actually ratified all of those amendments into the Constitution. We've talked about it before. They knew that sooner or later, eventually, this country was going to have a very problematic relationship between the people and the government. The government was going to turn abusive, and things were going to get messy. And one corrupt politician after the next was going to find their way into office, and they were going to try to mess with you. They were going to try to ruin you. They were going to try to stop you. They were going to come against us, the American people. Your side, my side, everybody else's side, they were all going to come for us sooner or later. And we needed something written down, codified into United States law to demonstrate, to draw a line in the sand. Thus far shalt thou go, but no farther. And boy, have we forgotten that. And we're going to learn some lessons today from Benjamin Franklin. Dr. Franklin, the wise old man, is going to teach us some lessons. And I encourage every single man, woman, and child within the range of my voice in the United States of America and in many great countries around the world to listen to Dr. Benjamin Franklin. Not to me, but to Dr. Franklin. And there's going to be some good episodes in the months and years to come. Mr. Adams has not done speaking. Mr. Washington is not done speaking yet. Samuel Adams is not done speaking. We're going to hear from them again, especially, especially John Adams. That man was brilliant. I think that man could look into a crystal ball and see exactly how this country was going to come to an end. And boy, we are walking straight into it. I have never seen a group of people walk themselves into an L-shaped ambush quite like the American people are walking themselves into it as I speak. And I've never seen a man like John Adams so accurately predict exactly how it was going to happen as he did. And that's partly why I am so passionate on this particular episode. I read Mr. Adams. And all I see is the United States of America in 2022. I read the man's words from 1787 and 1788 and 1815. And all I see is the United States of America in 2022. That man could have, been, could have had the nickname Nostradamus. The only problem is they didn't know it at the time. They didn't know how this country was going to turn out exactly. If they would have known, they would probably would have nicknamed John Adams Nostradamus. And if you're not familiar with the reference, Nostradamus was a, a Frenchman who uh, had uh, allegedly some ability to divine the future. Some people think he could see things before they happened. So anybody who's compared with Nostradamus is often compared with being some kind of a, uh, a prophet figure, a man who's able to see things before they happen. The thing is, John Adams wasn't Nostradamus. He wasn't a prophet. He was just a student of history. And, and a student of history, I've, I've mentioned it before, It's almost if you're a good enough student of history, it's almost like you have a crystal ball. Because you can see things before they happen because you simply know how people are going to react. You know how people are going to behave. And you know that the people of the United States eventually are going to walk themselves into an L-shaped ambush and they're not going to come out of it. Because that's exactly what happened before. There was another republic once upon a time called Rome. And the people did the same thing there. Because that's what people do. And here we are again, 2,000 years later, doing the same stupid crap. The book has already been written. It's called History. And those of us who know it, and those of us who understand it, see its value. We see how it benefits us to know these things. And I am so very grateful that you join me on this podcast. Whether you live in the United States of America, whether you live in Europe, 
whether you live in Africa, whether you live in the Near East or the Far East, I am so very grateful, and so would the Founding Fathers be. I hate to try to speak for them, but I am very certain that they would be happy that you're here to talk about this, because at least we're talking about it. How many people are talking about it? I mentioned this on the previous episode. How many people do you ever hear talk about the 26th Amendment and debate it? Debate whether it was a good idea or a bad idea? I can probably count on one hand the number of times in my entire life I've ever heard anybody even mention the 26th Amendment. But we do that here because the things the Founding Fathers did and the things that we have done to affect what the Founding Fathers did, they matter. And they don't just matter to the people of the United States of America, they matter to the people all around the world. Because these principles apply to everybody. We're all in this together. We all have the same problem, this relationship between people and government. And all of us are potential victims of our own mistakes regarding that relationship. So let's listen to Dr. Franklin. And I want to thank you so very much for bearing with me on this introduction to this episode. I'm quite animated about this. I'm quite animated about the things that I have been reading about recently in the United States of America. This country's got problems, people. And the thing is, is that the problems that we see in this country today, all we're doing is trying the same solutions to those problems that we've tried for a hundred years and they haven't worked. Whatever it is, most likely, whatever we're doing today to try to solve the problems that we have in this country, our parents, grandparents, and great-grandparents tried the same thing. How's that working out for us? Because those solutions have gotten us to exactly where we are today. Let's try something different. Something that hasn't really been tried for 200 years. Something that began a process of setting the world free. Free from the chains of monarchy. Free from the chains of tyranny. It may have taken some time, but at least it had an effect. And the Founding Fathers have the recipe for it and Dr. Franklin included. So let's go back to him. Let's start talking about Dr. Franklin, and let's do that right now. Because there's only one side that matters. You know, it's not it's not my side or your side or my party, your party, my politician or your politician. The only side that matters is the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence for the United States of America. That's it. Anything that runs contrary to that is a problem. The problem, and the thing is, to understand that side, the Declaration and the Constitution, we have to understand what it actually means. We have to study it. And we can't just, you know, read it cover to cover and think we're going to know what we're talking about. We have to go back and read the instruction manual that came with it. And Dr. Franklin has some good instructions for us. So without further delay, let's read Dr. Franklin. This is going to be a letter from Dr. Benjamin Franklin to a Thomas Cushing on January the 28th of 1775. Quote, I have been favored with yours of September 24th and October 26th from Philadelphia, November 14th and December 5th from Boston, and thank you for the information communicated. It gives my mind some ease to learn that such good care is taken by both the general and the town to prevent mischief. I hope that care will continue to be effectual and that people will be persuaded to wait with patience the event of the application of the Congress to the king and the subsequent result of the ensuing Congress thereupon. End quote. So Dr. Franklin is still hoping for the best. He's talking about this petition that the United or excuse me, the uh, Continental Congress. I keep calling it, I keep wanting to call it the United States Congress. But if I ever slip up and call it that, by the way, during this period of time, if I ever slip up and call it the United States Congress, just know I'm, I'm talking about the Continental Congress. But he's still hoping for the best, and I love that about Dr. Franklin. He's not a pessimist. I mean, he clearly doesn't know what's coming down the road, and he doesn't know. We've talked about this in previous episodes. The king has set things in motion. There's no stopping this thing now. The king is determined to declare war on his own people. Dr. Franklin doesn't quite understand that yet, I don't think. I think he knows. I think he's definitely got a feeling of it, though. We're going to figure that out here soon. He still hopes, at the very least, he still hopes for the best, and that's good. And the last letter that I'm going to read you today, there's going to be three of these things, assuming we can get to them all, and I think we can. Maybe It may be a long episode, but that's fine. We've had some short episodes recently, a series of short episodes. I think you might appreciate a long one. But uh, the last letter we're going to read today... It has a little bit of a different tone to it. It's not quite so optimistic. Let's continue. Quote, Lord Chatham moved last week in the House of Lords that an address be presented to His Majesty, humbly beseeching him to withdraw the troops from Boston as a step toward opening the way to conciliatory measures. But after a long and warm debate, the motion was rejected by a majority of 77 to 18, and open declarations were made by the ministerial side of the intention to enforce the late acts. To this end, three more regiments of foot and one of dragoons, 700 marines, six slopes of war, and two frigates are now under orders for America. Petitions, however, are thronging into the house from all quarters, praying that healing measures may be taken to restore the commerce. 
The petition from the Congress was brought into each house, among other papers, by the ministers, without any particular recommendation of it, consideration of the house from His Majesty. End quote. So this guy, Lord Chatham, tried to move for a withdrawal of the troops from Boston because a military occupation of this nature is very toxic to the relationship between government and people, especially when it's unnecessary. There weren't roving mobs of people burning the entire city of Boston to the ground and dragging people by the, by the dozens out of their houses and murdering them or some crazy thing like that. These people were relatively peaceable by this point. Yes, there was a Boston Tea Party and there were some other things, don't get me wrong. There were some attacks upon the, uh, the king's agents, but to dispatch this many troops to Boston betrays the true intentions of the king. The king didn't intend to just keep the peace. The king intended to declare war, outright war, on the people of Massachusetts. And that, that declaration of war is basically affirmed in the House of Lords. This uh, majority vote, 77 to 18, is basically approving the deployment of soldiers, military, to Massachusetts for the purposes of whatever it is that the king wants to do with the people there. That's basically the, the uh, approval of this declaration of war that King George III has on the people of Massachusetts. So the withdrawal of the troops was rejected. Not only that, quote, To this end, three more regiments of foot and one of dragoons, 700 marines, six slopes of war, and two frigates are now under orders for America. End quote. And if you're curious what the, uh, the British dragoons, what that is, it's basically a kind of cavalry, or some would say mounted infantry. But they're sending more soldiers. Oh boy, we don't have enough military garrison in Boston. By gosh, we're going to send more. Gee, I wonder what their intentions really are. Uh, it doesn't sound like uh, the king is going to consider any kind of conciliatory measures brought forward by the uh, Continental Congress, does it? Like I said, things have been set in motion, and this war is going to happen if the king has his way. Let us continue. Quote, General Gage's letters being read in the House of Commons, it appears from one of them that it had been recommended to him by Lord Dartmouth to disarm some of the colonies, which he seems to approve if it had been practicable, but says it is not till he is master of the country. End quote. Mm-hmm. I believe it was episode 66 where we talked about, more specifically, the Founding Fathers talked about this embargo that the king of Great Britain had engaged in to limit the shipment of guns and powder, specifically gunpowder, I believe. I believe arms were included with that. But trying to limit the, the shipment of arms out of Great Britain, mainly to the American colonies, as I understand it. Basically an attempt to, to limit access to arms by the people of Great Britain. Or excuse me, the American colonies, rather. Interesting. And now we have this. Quote, General Gage's letters being read in the House of Commons, it appears from one of them that it has been recommended to him by Lord Dartmouth to disarm some of the colonies, end quote. Why in the world would General Gage or Lord Dartmouth want to disarm the American colonies? Well, if every foreign army could do this, they would. If a foreign army had the opportunity to disarm another country before it invaded that country, don't you think they would do it? I mean, we have... A situation now where Ukraine is under attack by Russia. Don't you think Russia really would have liked to be able to completely disarm Ukraine before they launch the invasion? Why, yes. Yes, they would. This is why governments want to disarm the colonies, in this case. Why Great Britain wants to disarm the colonies, or why any government wants to disarm their people. <gasps> oh my gosh, did Roman just say what I think he said? Yep, that's exactly what I just said. You know, we, we can use all, we can we can come up with all the excuses that we want to. We can try to uh, pour crap down people's throats and call it sugar. But whenever a government wants to disarm its people, I want you to I want you to listen very clearly. They intend to do at some point the same exact thing that the King of Britain is doing to the American colonies in 1775. More specifically, what he intends to do to them in April of 1775, which would be to declare war on them. Now, some people are going to rebel at such a notion. Oh my gosh, Roman, are you serious? How dare you, Roman? Oh, you've crossed the line this time. How dare you say that when a government wants to disarm its people, it's because they want to declare war on their citizens. Oh, Roman, you terrible human being. Yeah, I know, I've heard it all. But it's true. History teaches us that. If you actually crack open a history book and read it, these are the kinds of things you learn. You know, it gets really, really difficult to do a Tiananmen Square the morning after when the Chinese soldiers opened fire on Chinese civilians and in some cases shot them in the back while they were running away. It gets really hard to do that if the people can shoot back. 
And I talked about, you know, at one point, the Warsaw Ghetto. What would have happened if those people would have been armed to the teeth from the from the word go, and they actually would have stood and fought instead of allowing themselves to be rounded up into the ghetto like cattle and slaughtered? And like I said, there was an uprising at some point, but it was a day late and a dollar short, and it wasn't nearly enough. Gets really hard to, to round people up and put them in the Warsaw Ghetto if they're armed to the teeth, doesn't it? Really hard. Don't you think governments know that? Don't you think they're aware of that? Of course they are. Now, some people might ask the question, why Roman? For Pete's sake, are you saying that every government in the world intends to murder its own people at some point by disarming them? I'm not necessarily saying that every government intends to murder their own people in that moment, but it's just laying a foundation for things to come. And it's a slippery slope. And some people don't believe in the slippery slope argument, but to be brutally honest with you, just cast a glance towards history and I'll tell you what, the slippery slope argument works 99% of the time. Especially when you're talking about the relationship between government and people. That slippery slope argument, it might as well be the it might as well be gravity. It's so consistent. It's it's practically a law of physics unto itself. But let's finish that argument from Lord Dartmouth, apparently, and uh, General Gage. Quote It had been recommended to him by Lord Dartmouth to disarm some of the colonies, which he seems to approve if he had been practicable, but says it is not till he is master of the country. End quote. Master of the country. He's a military dictator, General Gage. He's operating an illegal government, essentially set up by King George III to preside a military dictatorship over the people of Massachusetts. And he intends to be master of the country, and once he is, he he's going to disarm the people. Now, here's a question for you. Does that sound familiar? I mean, I'm talking, I mean, I'm not just talking to the people of the United States, but the people of Europe, too. Does that sound familiar to you? I mean, does this sound like something you might have heard, like, eh, I don't know, off and on over the last 80 years or so? Does it strike a familiar bearing? Sound like anybody you know? I mean, this uh, General Gage and Lord Dartmouth, do these, pe do these two sound like people that you might know, eh, today? I mean, I'm just asking the question. I mean, some people are going to think, oh my gosh, Roman, what are you getting modern political on us? You trying to bring up Second Amendment issues? Are you trying to bring up gun issues on this podcast? How dare you? I said, uh, you said you would never get partisan political on this podcast. Well, honestly, it's not, it's not me bringing this up. It's the Founding Fathers bringing this up. So if you want to get mad at somebody, get mad at the Founding Fathers. Get mad at Dr. Franklin. You could find a statue somewhere of Dr. Franklin. There's a couple of them. But find a statue of Dr. Franklin somewhere and just go down there and start yelling at it. See if that solves your problem. Because neither I, nor history, or Dr. Franklin, frankly, if he was alive, would give two craps about what you have to say about this if you don't understand why this is so important. You ever wonder why the Founding Fathers put that Second Amendment in the Constitution? This is why, right here. So we can end this debate right here, right now. Add this to the multitude of other things that we've heard on this podcast about a well-regulated militia from General Washington and others. I mean, we get so conflicted in the United States of America. Why is that Second Amendment there? Why can't we just get rid of it? Why don't we abolish it? Why don't we pass a law in Congress overthrowing the Constitution and making this illegal and that illegal? Why don't we pass a law through the state legislature overthrowing the United States Constitution illegally and making this illegal and that illegal? Well, this is why. You remember those hundreds of millions of people who've died at the hands of their own government, those people that I was talking about? This is that thing happening all over again. King George III, Lord Dartmouth, and General Gage are working in collusion to do that same thing in 1775 all over again. And the only thing that's going to stand between them and people's freedom, their very lives, is those guns in the hands of people at Lexington and Concord, the countryside of Massachusetts, and anybody under the command of General Washington. That's it. That's the only thing that's going to save those people. Not their hopes and dreams, not their best wishes, not their frickin' optimism, none of that crap. And not that petition sent to the king, which he ignored, by the way, and which the British Parliament almost unanimously flushed down the toilet. None of that stuff was going to save these people. None of that stuff was going to save their lives. None of that stuff was going to save their freedom. You know what was going to save their freedom? A frickin' gun. That's what was going to save their freedom. That's the only thing that stands between you and them most of the time. And they know it. And the problem is many people in society don't know it. They cast their fortunes to hopes and dreams and wishful thinking and optimism, blissful ignorance, hoping that everything's going to be okay. Well, it's not going to be okay. It never is. It hasn't been for 10,000 years, and it's not going to be 10,000 years from now. None of this has changed. It's all the same. There's always going to be a King George III coming around the corner. There's always going to be a General Gage who's going to violate his oath, his honor as a soldier, and he's going to go out and murder his own people. 
and he's going to do it with glee, with a smile on his face. There's always going to be a general like that. I don't care what army you're talking about. I don't care if it's the German army in the 1930s and 40s. I don't care if it's the British army in 1775. And I don't care if it's the American army in some time in the future. I don't give a crap. It's going to happen. There's going to be that character out there somewhere. And it's not fun to talk about it. It's not politically correct to talk about it. But it's the truth. And I know that because I've read the history. I've looked back 5,000 years, and I have seen this happen over and over and over and over again, and it never stops. People are going to die by the tens of thousands for years at the hands of King George III, General Gage, and people like him, Cornwallis, Clinton. They're going to die. And some of them are going to be tortured to death in some of the most obscene ways you can possibly imagine. And the only thing that stops it is a gun in the hands of an American citizen. That's it. And George Washington knew it. John Adams knew it. And that's why that Second Amendment is in the Constitution. If ever you get curious or if ever anybody asks you why is it there, that's why. Because they knew this kind of crap would come around again. It may not happen for another 200 years, but it's going to happen. Mark my words, and I hate to be so plain about this, but this is so hard to get through the heads of some people, and I know I'm probably preaching to the choir on this podcast, but if you want to share this podcast episode with somebody who doesn't get it, feel free. If you want to share this episode of the podcast with somebody who hasn't read this history, who hasn't read the letters from our founding fathers, who doesn't understand this, how this war got started, how it was a government that declared open warfare upon its own people, and the general was happy to do it. The general did it with a smile on his face. And people like Lord Dartmouth were there in the background the whole time, or egging them on, encouraging them to do it. Go out there, disarm the people. Because And these people knew what would happen if they went out there to disarm them. They knew what would happen. They knew the people would take offense to that. They knew people would understand that that's tyranny on the march and that they would shoot back and that there would be a shooting war that would get started, and they didn't care. They were willing to start a shooting war for no other reason than they wanted to impose a tyranny and oppression on their people. That's it. And they were willing to kill anybody who got in their way. Men, women, children, doesn't matter. Kill them all until there's none left. And this is the war that the United States of America fought. This is why people died. It wasn't just because people didn't want to pay their taxes. It was because King George III and General Gage declared war on them. Declared war on their families, on their homes, their towns, their cities, their farms, everything. They were going to take it all away. And this letter describes how it started. This is the lead up to the war. This is the planning and execution of a civil war. A deliberately intended civil war. And first, they try to limit the access to guns and powder. In episode 66, we talked about it. And then they start talking about outright confiscation. Confiscation. And why? Why do they want to confiscate? We all know the reason why. Let's quit kidding ourselves. We know why. Oh my gosh, guns are dangerous. Yes, guns are dangerous. So's voting. We talked about that in the previous episode. Voting is dangerous. Yet in this country, we hand that out like toilet paper. I mean, how many people in Europe died because a bunch of Germans thought they were voting for the right thing in the 1930s? How many tens of millions of bodies can we pile up a mile high and rivers of blood because people thought they were voting for the right thing in Germany in the 1930s? A lot of things are dangerous, but that doesn't mean you just go and take it away from people. And yes, I believe there should be some more limitations on voting in this country. I don't think people 18, 19, 20, and 21 should be voting, but people should have the right to vote. Regardless of how dangerous it is, at some point you have to give them the responsibility. Because it's necessary for a people to be free. Just like with these guns that the British government has tried to take away from these people in 1775. They're dangerous, these guns. They can be. But they're necessary in order for a people to be free. Without them, you don't have a free people for very long. Show me a country where people are free without this. And I mean really free. Free to speak their mind. Free to assemble. Free to petition. Free to protest. Boy, we've seen some examples of that over the last two years, haven't we? History repeats itself. Let's just make sure the bad stuff doesn't ever happen again. And again, if if you think I'm being modern political about this, about this, look, just because the Second Amendment is in constant debate in this country and it is a modern political issue doesn't mean that I'm being partisan political on this podcast. This isn't me saying this crap. This is the Founding Fathers. Like I said on previous episodes, episode 13, and I forget the other one, the Founding Fathers describe in brutal detail what the well-regulated militia is. And they're giving you examples left and right about why that Second Amendment is really there. 
Alexander Hamilton in the Federalist Papers described it too. I've talked about that before. I mean, the, the amount of documentation on that particular amendment is quite voluminous. Now let's read a little bit more about why this is so necessary to pay attention to. We're going to read a letter from Benjamin Franklin to the Speakers of the Colonial Assemblies. This is a... Uh, Titled, uh, To the Speakers of the Colonial Assemblies, a Circular Letter from Franklin, William Bolin, and Arthur Lee. And I quote, Our last letter informed you that the king had declared his intention of laying the petition before his two houses of parliament. It has accordingly, it accordingly been laid before each house, but undistinguished among a variety of letters and other papers from America, end quote. So in other words, they don't give a crap. They lost it in the pile of other papers. They don't care. So again, if you think petitions, if you think... Hopes and dreams are going to save your freedom when things really get dark. You're delusional. It's not going to happen. Let us continue. Quote, A motion made by Lord Chatham to withdraw the troops from Boston as the first step towards a conciliating plan was rejected, and the ministry have declared in both houses the determination to enforce obedience to all the late laws. For this purpose, we understand that three regiments afoot, one of dragoons, 700 Marines, six slopes of war, and two frigates are now under orders for America, end quote. Repeating what we already know. And the late laws or the late acts, if you keep hearing references to that, that's the intolerable acts. If this is the first episode you're listening to, you're going to want to go back and listen to our early episodes on the intolerable acts to understand what that means and, and why those were so oppressive and why the colonies were almost completely unanimous in believing that this was a bridge too far. You can't, you can't do this kind of thing to people's freedom and liberty. You can't. But by gosh, they, 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 wanted, they want to enforce obedience. Quote, The ministry have declared in both houses the determination to enforce obedience to all the late laws. End quote. Oh yeah, they're going to enforce it all right. At the barrel of a gun. That's how tyranny is often enforced, at the barrel of a gun. You know, tyranny is not often enforced with sweet words you know the the tyrant walks up to you and gr kisses you in the ear and whispers sweet nothings into your ear gently and softly and sweetly no he walks up to you with a baseball bat smacks you across the face with it kicks you in the gut until you're on the ground writhing in pain and then stomps on your throat and then he'll shoot you and again about this quote for this purpose we understand that three regiments afoot one of dragoons 700 marines six slopes of war and two frigates are now under orders for america end quote at the barrel of a gun. By gosh, they will make you comply. They will take away your government like they did in Massachusetts. They will impose a military dictatorship if they find it necessary, or some other form of tyranny. It doesn't always have to be a military dictatorship. There are many ways to impose a tyranny over a government. But this is the, this is the game, and this is Benjamin Franklin writing back to the folks in the colonies what is going on. Quote, we think it proper to inform you that your cause was well defended by a considerable number of good and wise men in both houses of parliament, though far from being a majority, and that many of the commercial and manufacturing parts of the nation concerned in the American trade have presented, or as we understand, are preparing to present petitions to parliament, declaring their great concern for the present unhappy controversies within America, and praying expressly or in effect for healing measures as the proper means of preserving their commerce, now greatly suffering or endangered. But the treatment the petitions already presented have hitherto received is such as, in our opinion, can afford you no reliance on any present relief through their means, end quote. Not so optimistic anymore, is he? Quote, can afford you no reliance on any present relief through their means, end quote. In other words, don't cross your fingers, don't hold your breath. It ain't gonna happen, folks. That petition is done. He doesn't say it in this letter, but basically we know war is coming. The king, the parliament, effectively took the petition, flushed it down the toilet, and now it's war. That's what the, that's what the American colonists get for sending a petition trying to reach some conciliatory measure, trying to reach agreement, trying to broker some kind of a peace. That's what they get. The barrel of a gun shoved down their throat by military soldiers who had a duty and an obligation to defend the people, not declare war upon them. And whatever the American colonists did to those soldiers in killing them in combat, those soldiers deserved. They deserved to die. Any soldier who violates his honor, his soldier's honor to defend the people and instead turns his rifle against them when they're trying nothing more than to reach a peaceable agreement with the government, sending conciliatory measures by way of a Congress to the king, to the despot, to the tyrant, to the oppressor. Any soldier that does such a thing deserves to die. It's despicable when soldiers go out and kill their own people. Despicable. 
But boy, haven't we seen that country after country, nation after nation for centuries, millennia. It turns my stomach. And if you think your country is immune to this kind of problem, you're delusional. If it hasn't already happened to you, it will happen eventually. Because history tells me that. I don't make this crap up. I just crack open a history book and I freaking read it. And I can't find a country that this hasn't happened to. Russia, it's happened. Britain, it's happened. China, it's happened. Korea, it's happened. Japan, it happened. Vietnam, it happened. Cambodia, it happened. On and on and on and on again. Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, goes on and on and on. I mean, however many people you think it is that have been killed by somebody's, you know, little pet issue this week or their little cause celeb, it's not near as many people who have been killed by their own government. Not even close. That stack of bodies almost defies belief. I mean, this stuff is real, folks. This is not mythology. Again, I've talked about this before, where, and I'm quite passionate on this episode, and I'm, I'm really being very vigorous in my arguments here. More specifically, I'm being vigorous in communicating to you what it is these found, what it is Dr. Franklin is, is saying here. And it's because this is not mythology. I've said it before that a lot of people think of the Founding Fathers like mythology. It happened so long ago, and it was it was such a such a you know a relatively short-lived issue, whatever what have you, because the, the war didn't drag on for twenty or thirty years. But oh, it's it's it might as well have not even happened. It's it's almost like it occurred in some mythical land and time, and it's just these stories that we tell. No, it's not just stories; it's people's lives. This is real. This really happened. Doctor Franklin was a real human being. He really wrote this letter, and he was really trying to convey to the people back in the colonies that this ain't working, folks. The king ain't listening, and neither's the parliament. The parliament doesn't care. They don't care about your suffering. They don't care about the suffering of the tradesmen in Britain. They don't give a crap. It's all about tyranny, 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 tyranny. And the ends justify the means. If we're going to get compliance with tyranny, we'll do whatever we have to. We'll kill as many people as we'll have to. We'll shoot as many people as we have to. We'll send as many troops as we have to. And you even got the tradesmen in Great Britain, quote, Parts of the nation concerned in the American trade have presented, or as we understand, are preparing to present petitions to Parliament, declaring their great concern for the present unhappy controversies with America, and praying expressly or in effect for healing measures as the proper means of preserving their commerce, end quote. They're tr even the people who are doing commerce with the Americas are trying to appeal to the better nature of Parliament, assuming there is such a thing, to reach some kind of compromise here, to reach some kind of peaceable measure, so that we can, we can engage in commerce as good friends again, as good brothers again. Because nothing makes the world happier than when the, than when the Americans, the colonists, or the United States, and Great Britain are engaged in friendly commerce with one another. And that's still true to this day. But the King of England and the Parliament, they weren't having it. They just were not having it. And that's a shame. A lot of lost opportunity there. This was a great opportunity for the King of England to lead the way and demonstrate his good nature, his leadership ability, his ability to rise above a controversy and reach some kind of peaceable measure with the American colonies and show himself to be a great statesman, a great leader. But he just couldn't get over himself because tyrants never can. They can't tell the truth. They can't admit when they're wrong. They just keep plowing ahead, no matter how much it hurts the people, no matter how much it hurts the nation, no matter how much it hurts the empire, they just keep plowing ahead. And if people die, who cares? And if we have to send out the military to murder people, who cares? That's the tyrant in a nutshell. Nothing else matters except their tyranny, that's all they care about. King George III could have, been, could have gone down in history as being a great peacemaker, a great figure in world history, but instead he's this guy. An absolutely deplorable, degenerate reprobate of a human being. Let us continue. As soon as we learned that the petition of the Congress was before the House of Commons, we thought it our duty to support it, if we might be permitted to do so, as there was no other opportunity for the numerous inhabitants of the colonies to be heard in defense of their rights. Accordingly, we joined in a petition for that purpose. Sergeo Seville kindly undertook to present it, but on previously opening the purport of it, as the order is, a debate arose on the propriety of receiving it, and on a division it was rejected by a great majority, end quote. So this guy, Sergeo Seville, took this petition by Franklin and his friends in London, and he was going to present it, but then a debate broke out about whether it was proper or not to even receive it, and so it was rejected by a great majority, he says, quote, and on a division it was rejected by a great majority, end quote. So they said, even on this petition by Dr. Franklin, world-famous Dr. Franklin, the great scientist, the old wise man, they even told him to go pound sand. We don't even want to hear what you have to say. 
Talk about taxation without representation. This is the kind of crap we're talking about. Go pound sand. We don't care what you have to say. That was according to a great majority of Parliament. Tell me again how the Revolutionary War was a bunch of elitist, entitled, rich people who just didn't want to pay their taxes. Tell me again, fringe lunatic who's never read history or who's lying about it, one of the two. Tell me about that. Tell us all. Tell us all on this study group of America's Founding Fathers how it was just that. A bunch of elitist, tax-evading farmers and lawyers who just didn't want to didn't do what they were supposed to do. Didn't want to do their civic duty. Tell me again. Re regale me of your depth of knowledge of history, you incompetent buffoon. I say to those people out there who actually present that argument. I know a lot of you folks know what I'm talking about. But there are so many people out there who still push that stupid argument. And they, they do it because they either have never read actual history or they're lying about it, one of the two. These people tried everything they could to try to reach some kind of peaceable measure with the king, and this is what happens. They were told to go pound sand over and over again because the weapons of war had already been sent. The messages of war had already been sent. The declaration of war was already quietly made. It's coming. War is coming. Whether Dr. Franklin likes it or not, it's on the way. And this is the, this is, it's all coming apart, basically. All of the attempts, and this again is in February of 1775. February 5th of 1775 is when this letter was written. It's all coming apart. Let us continue. Quote, The following extract of a letter from General Gage to Lord Darthment, Dartmouth as laid before Parliament. We think it our duty to transmit. End quote. And here we're going to quote uh, what Dr. Franklin is quoting from General Gage. Quote, December 15, 1774, your lordship's idea of disarming certain provinces would doubtless be consistent with prudence and safety, but it neither is nor has been practicable without having recourse to force and being masters of the country. End quote. And now we continue on with Dr. Franklin's statement. Quote, it was thrown out in debate by a principal member of administration that it would be proper to alter the charters of Connecticut and Rhode Island. Enclosed, we send you a copy of the resolutions passed in a committee of the whole House on Thursday last, which are to be reported on Monday. It is said that these resolutions are to be the foundation of several bills to be brought in, but the purport of those bills we haven't yet learnt with sufficient, sufficient certainty. We send you likewise a copy of Lord Chatham's first motion in the House of Lords, and of his plan of a bill for settling the troubles between British, Britain, and the colonies, both of which were rejected on the first reading. With great respect, we are, sir, your most obedient, humble servants. W. Bolin, B. Franklin, Arthur Lee, end quote. Okay, it's kind of a long section. So basically, he read this section from uh, General Gage. And it's basically what we heard before. Quote, Your lordship's idea of disarming certain provinces would doubtless be consistent with prudence and safety, end quote. Boy, haven't we heard that before. Let's disarm the people. It's prudent and safe. We gotta do it for safety, after all. I mean, if we want the country to be safe, we have to disarm the people. Uh-huh. Safe for who? Seriously. You gotta ask yourself. They want to disarm the people, but for the safety of who? The safety of the people? No. The safety of the military so that they can go about killing people with impunity. The safety of the tyrant, so he can continue being a tyrant without having to worry about it. That's why. And then there's this interesting section here, quote, It was thrown out in debate by a principal member of administration that it would be proper to alter the charters of Connecticut and Rhode Island, end quote. Remember that with the Intolerable Acts, one of those acts effectively overthrew the, the, the legitimate government of Massachusetts and imposed a military dictatorship. Effectively, the way I read this, they were considering doing the same thing to Connecticut and Rhode Island. You remember that slippery slope argument that I talked about before? This is it. It wasn't enough that they overthrew the legitimate government of Massachusetts. They were going to overthrow the legitimate government of Connecticut and Rhode Island, too. That's my suspicion based upon what I read here. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm inferring a few things here, but they were clearly trying to alter the government. That would be like... Again, in the United States today, the federal government trying to alter a state constitution of sorts. That is illegal, and you, you can't do that. Now, somebody could argue whether or not the, the parliament or the king had the, auth the authority or the legal authority to alter a charter, but let's, let's, let's not even really get into that debate necessarily. It doesn't really matter. The, the, the issue is they're trying to change these governments to be more amenable to the tyranny of Great Britain against the will of the people. You think the people of Connecticut and Rhode Island want this to happen? No, they don't. You think the people of Massachusetts wanted it to happen? Of course they didn't. The people of Massachusetts were clear. And there's a reason why a Congress in Philadelphia was assembled of the several colonies. Because they were clear. 
they don't like this crap. They don't like their governments being overthrown. This is some really scary crap, isn't it? I mean, again, folks, keep in mind, I mean, and I know you know this, I'm just, I, there are some people out there who have trouble with this, so I have to kind of, uh, hit, especially the younger audience. If there's anybody listening to this podcast who's, you know, middle school, high school, even early college sometimes, they have a hard time understanding this is real stuff. This really happened. And a lot of people died because this government in Britain was out of control. And they didn't want to hear about peace options. They didn't want to hear about conciliatory measures. They didn't want to hear it. They were determined down a course of war, and that was it. So we're going to continue. Let's read one more letter. This is going to be a letter from Benjamin Franklin to Joseph Galloway, written approximately February 7 of 1775. And I quote, I cannot but lament with you the impending calamities Britain and her colonies are about to suffer. From great imprudencies on both sides, those arising there are more in your view, these here, which I assure you are very great in mine. Passion governs, and she never governs wisely. What we can't remedy, we must endeavor to bear. But I find it to me more and more difficult. Anxiety begins to disturb my rest, and whatever robs an old man of his sleep soon demolishes him. I have, however, generally strong hopes, amounting almost to an assurance, that though we may suffer much for a while, America will finally be greatly benefited by her present difficulties and rise superior to them all. End quote. This is why I called him the great wise man, the old wise man. Dr. Franklin. That quote there, quote, passion governs and she never governs wisely, end quote. Boy, that could be said of us, of the United States of America in 2022. Remember what I told you about young people in voting, 18, 19, 20? And the story about myself, for example. I was very passionate about voting when I was 18 years old. But under no, under no rational circumstance should I ever have been allowed to vote. Nor should any 18-year-old be allowed to vote. Now, my compromise on that was, if you're in the armed services, then you get to vote. Uh, we'll call that, a, if, if I were, if somebody died and made me king for a day, that's the way I would set it up. You can call it a military benefit, uh, an honor paid to our service members, you know, something that they get that the rest of us don't, just to distinguish them as, as being, um, as having given a sacrifice to their country. But other than that, no, I don't think an 18-year-old should be able to vote. No matter, I don't care how passionate they are. Because of this statement right here, quote, passion governs and she never governs wisely, end quote. You wonder why I say things like what I said in that previous episode about 18-year-olds, 19, 20, those passionate young people going out and voting. This is why I say stuff like that. It's not because I make this stuff up. It's not because I think myself some kind of genius. It's just because I've read these letters before. I've read Dr. Franklin, John Adams, and people like them, and I just, I, I combine that with just my wisdom, knowing how this thing has worked out for 250 years, roughly. 200 plus years, we'll say. And I know it's not a good idea, but Dr. Franklin... As I told you this last letter that we were going to read, he wasn't going to be anywhere nearly as optimistic as he was in the beginning. Quote, I cannot but lament with you the impending calamities Britain and her colonies are about to suffer. End quote. I think at this point he's starting to see the writing on the wall. I mean, he calls it an impending calamity, which is certainly how I would describe it. He talks about anxiety, just like John Adams. Remember towards the end there with John Adams, we were starting to hear that word? occasionally with Mr. Adams, this anxiety that he had. Quote, Anxiety begins to disturb my rest, and whatever robs an old man of his sleep soon demolishes him, end quote. So yes, the optimism is slowly slipping away. But what a great sentiment there at the end. I'll read that again. Quote, I have, however, generally strong hopes amounting almost to an assurance that though we may suffer for a, much for a while, America will finally be greatly benefited by her present difficulties and rise superior to them all. End quote. Do we live up to that today? These aspirations of Dr. Franklin, do we live up to that standard today? I honestly don't think that we do. I think we could if we chose to. But so many missteps, so many mistakes that we make. And again, it has everything to do with what I was talking about at the beginning of the episode, this episode, about my politician versus your politician, my party versus your party. My party is pure as the driven snow, or my politician is as pure as the driven snow, but your politician is evil incarnate. All of those crazy arguments that we get into. And year after year, election after election, 535 raving lunatics get elected to the federal Congress. Now, there's a couple good ones, probably, but few and far between. And if you think your elected representative is one of the good ones, you've you got like a 99% chance of being wrong. But I sure think it is possible that we can live up to this aspiration of Dr. Franklin. I really do. We just gotta, we just gotta want to get there. And we've gotta remember and never forget the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence for the United States of America. 
and the people of the world, for, for those folks of you who, out there who are not in the United States, you've got to make your own path. But I, I like to think that there's a great many people out there in the world who want this same kind of thing that the Founding Fathers were talking about for the United States, the Declaration of Independence, basically. You want, you want that same kind of ideal in your country, perhaps, or perhaps not. If not, you probably won't be listening to this podcast for very long. But if so, then perhaps you'll stick with it and listen to what these wise men, including the wise old man Dr. Franklin, have to say. So, for my concluding remarks, I, will, I won't do a separate section on that because we're already long in this podcast, but this has been an interesting episode, an interesting series of letters from Dr. Franklin. It really does paint a picture. I, I really thoroughly enjoy these letters from Dr. Franklin and the ones that preceded it in episode 66. It really does open a window to what really led to this war in America in 1775. And it really casts aside all of the negative crap that people say about the Founding Fathers and how they were responsible for the war. They were entitled. They were elitist. They just didn't want to play along. They didn't want to do, they didn't want to do their civic duty or whatever. A bunch of rich old people didn't want to pay their taxes. It's a bunch of crap. It's a lot more complicated than that, as, as are most things. But Dr. Franklin did his best, and before he left London, he tried to make his voice heard. He tried to engage in peaceable negotiations with the Parliament. But again, the Parliament told him to go pound sand. We don't want to hear it. So just know, these letters prove, this history proves, that the British Parliament had an opportunity, that the King had an opportunity, to set about a good peace with the American colonies, and by majority, a vast majority in Parliament, rejected that peace. The King himself rejected that peace. Not the colonies, not the Americans, not Dr. Franklin, John Adams, and General Washington. No, the British Parliament rejected it. So now you know, if anybody decides to ask, if anybody starts quoting false history to you, you know how this war got started. And you also know how this embargo of arms, gunpowder, and how the eventual attempt to confiscate those arms that were already in the colonies played into this. How it all plays a role and when a, when, a, when a government decides to go to war against its own people. These letters lay that open, plain as day. There's, there shouldn't be any ambiguity anymore. And I hope you enjoy this episode. And I hope you enjoy the history from Dr. Franklin. Dr. Franklin, you know, great guest on the podcast today. I, I like listening to the wise old man. He's very brilliant. And he does know how to deliver a message. And I like seeing, you know, this, this process that he was involved in over there in London, London evolve over time as he begins to figure out that the, uh, the parliament is not going to be any great help to the American colonies. And they're not going to try for peace. They're not going to. And he does realize that. And before too long, Dr. Franklin will be on his way back to the American colonies. And thank goodness he made it back. I mean, I, I think our lucky stars that Dr. Franklin made it back from London. He wasn't arrested while he was there. He wasn't put in prison for the rest of his life. He actually made it back. Thank goodness. Because we needed him. The United States of America needed Dr. Franklin. Could we have done it without him? I, I honestly don't know. I have a great deal of respect for this man's contribution to the United States of America. And I will never forget what that man did in service to his country, in his old age, no less. This man makes any politician today look like absolute garbage in comparison. This man put it all on the line. This man could have been arrested in London at any time. He could have been thrown, thrown in prison for the rest of his life. He put it all out there. Show me a politician today that'll do that. And do it with honor and integrity. And continue to serve his country. Until almost his dying day. I mean, this guy this guy was around at the Constitutional Convention, for crying out loud, in 1787. He was old. He was an old man when this was going on in 75. So if you, uh, if you wanted a founding father to celebrate, you know, for uh, the next Independence Day, maybe it's Dr. Franklin. You know, maybe talk to your family about Dr. Franklin and, and the contribution that he made in London, trying his very best to see that a peace was made. He didn't, he didn't succeed, of course, but that was not his fault. He tried his very best. I believe. That's my opinion, but I firmly believe that. And so, like I said, it's a great conversation piece. I mean, if you're ever, if you're ever sitting around staring at a century note, that is to say a $100 bill, and you see Benjamin Franklin's face staring back at you, and you want a conversation starter with some friends, some family, just start talking about Dr. Franklin and what you learned on this podcast and the, the great sacrifice that he made and some of these things that we're talking about from his letters. Good conversation to have, uh, whether you live in the United States or whether you live abroad and in countries elsewhere. Dr. Franklin, like I said, he at one point in time is a world-famous guy, and he I think he really um, contributed greatly to the world. 
not just the United States, because of his invention. He invented things, you know, what we've talked about a little bit about that before. So I think the whole world benefited in some way, shape, or form, at least for a time, from the, uh, the genius of Dr. Franklin. Not a lot of men can say that. Not a lot of men can say that they actually impacted the world. But Dr. Franklin certainly did. And he was an American. He was one of our first and one of our best. He was a very flawed man. I have said it before. He, was, he wasn't a very good family man, I don't think. He had his flaws. We all do. But a true patriot, I believe. And that's something to be, uh, something to be appreciated, I think. So let's, uh, let's look forward to the next episode of the, of the podcast. We'll have a short episode on the next one. And we'll talk a little bit more about something. I'll find a topic to talk about related to either this, uh, this episode or another one or something that we're going to talk about in the future. And I thank you for joining me on this episode. Let me know if you, uh, you enjoyed it. If you have access to Apple Podcasts, you can leave a review. You can also ask a question. If you ever have a question about the podcast or about what we're talking about, or if you want to add some commentary, something that we might bring, a discussion that we might bring onto the podcast that's relevant to what we're talking about, then I'm, I'm happy to have that. I always appreciate contributions by, uh, by people on the study group here. So with all that said, this is Roman signing off. Thank you.